0: listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Neenham and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to I Might Be Wrong. I've got Henry with me. I'm Rich. How are you, Henry? Very well, Rich. Yeah,
1: just um, looking outside on another dismal February day. It's chucking it down. It's gloomy. So we're here to lighten the mood with some
0: music. (laughs) Yeah. I'm good. It was lovely yesterday. It was almost felt like spring when I left the house, and then as it worked its way through the day, it just got gloomier and, and rainier and a bit more. Oh no, it's still winter. Here's a reminder.
1: Yeah. For those of you not listening in the UK, this is
0: basically a standard
1: conversation that happens just about <laughs> every hour in this country, just because the weather changes so much. So um, yeah, we won't bore you too much with it, but at the moment it's a bit soggy.
0: It is a little bit. But you have brought something chirpy and cheery and upbeat. Although I'm not so sure about that, having had more of a listen than I ever have before. Who have you brought? What are we yeah, listening to?
1: I don't think she's chirpy and cheery. Uh, we're listening to Lord, Lord with an E, not Lord with an I, the the kind of death metal um, Eurovision band. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, who I I probably should have done a little, little bit of research on because um, let's do Eurovision another time. L- Lord <laughs> is from Auckland in New Zealand. Which I hadn't realised. Yeah, she's Kiwi. Her her actual name is Ella Jelica O'Connor, which is Irish. She's got an Irish dad, or I think Irish ancestry. And her mother is Croatian. I think she's a poet, apparently. I looked her up. She's won some pretty big poetry awards in New
0: Zealand. So that kind of artistic talent runs in the family. Cool. Yeah, that's always interesting when you get musicians that come from other types of art so having a poet obviously that lends itself to lyricism and music writing. not necessarily the music but the words if that makes sense but there's also a rhythmical thing to understanding poetry so growing up with that must have helped somehow does she talk about that at all in uh in how she talks about her getting into music well not not directly but she's clearly a musician
1: from the get-go so she started writing music at the age of twelve, wow. and she seems to be quite a smart cookie. If you've seen interviews with her, she's she's very switched on. I mean, in, and let's let's put this in context. This album that we'll talk about, Pure Heroin, that was released in 2013. She was 16 when this came out. She was 15 when she recorded it. So, you know, if you compare her to other child, well, not child prodigies, but but young artists. I mean, you know, think about Britney. Right, Coming onto the scene at 15, you've got a huge amount of exposure and pressure, I guess, as an artist at a very young age. So it's quite interesting to see how she's dealt with this because she's clearly very aware of the media and she's just an interesting person. Just really, it is cool to go go into more detail on
0: her. Yeah, and having listened to this album more because we were going to do it, one of the things that struck me having had an awareness that she was pretty young when she wrote this album, at least from a kind of artist in the music world perspective, is the maturity in the writing, both from a musical and from a lyrical perspective. But I guess if you've been doing this for a number of years already in a very formative time of your life, I guess there's an acceleration from doing it in your teenage years where you're less, I guess, less conscious of oh, I've got to write for this audience, and more very much from the heart, writing about things you care about.
1: Yeah. She was, well, on her Wikipedia page, it mentions that she's a a gifted child, and I was trying to work out what that meant. Her mother made her do a test, a a Woodcock-Johnson test of cognitive abilities. Easy for you to say. (laughs) And and so I looked that up, and and I actually tried to work out how smart do you have to be to be a gifted child on that scale? And it didn't really say. So I don't know whether she's really gifted or if that's just a a method for parents to kind of run around saying, my kid's cool, by them getting a nice big tick in a box for a a Nike test. It's a very middle class thing to do, isn't it? It is. But that aside, she's clearly smart. So she started writing at 12. And then with her friend, um, Lewis McDonald, she won a school talent show. Mm -hmm. That got her onto a radio station, a local radio station, and Lewis MacDonald's dad took the recording from the radio station and sent it to Universal. Hmm. So he's clearly thought, let's get this duo famous. Universal looked at the two of them and said, Lord, you're coming with us. MacDonald's son, not interested, so he got kicked out. Wow. I I think it was... I'm not entirely sure of the background of whether that was an acrimonious split or whether they just parted ways and it was fine but Universal gave her a, a development deal which I, I think sounds like we're not going to sign you on a record label officially
0: but we'll help you with recording and kind of building up your your skills. And that's something that's key for artists of any genre and any style is the ability to have access to some kind of recording studio whether that is you know very garage home setup that you find with like punk bands and things or whether it's something a bit more professional like this but that can absolutely jump the quality from something that sounds nice to something that's genuinely very good
1: yeah well and this is what rocket shipped her into the mainstream because off the back of that she put some songs up on soundcloud she made an ep including the song royals which is on pure heroine but she had a, a demo of that on there yeah and that recording got downloaded 60,000 times on SoundCloud, obviously for free. I think Universal saw that panic, thought, we need to make money off this because people are getting this for free at the moment. And so formally
0: signed her at 15 onto the label. So for anyone who hasn't heard Royals, which I assume is like three people in the entire world, describe her sound. What is what is Lord's music?
1: Uh. I guess it's electro-pop indie kind of low-fi electro-pop indie there's not an overload of synths and sound Um, it's quite sparse so her sound is quite a lot about the vocals and the lyrics yeah and it's quite often you'll just have a simple beat just with some gentle notes in the background and it really allows her her voice and her style to, to shine through her songs are quite slow so often they're not up-tempo, fast-paced songs, and especially in the first album, Pure Heroine. It's kind of riddled with a lot of that classic teenage angst. It's uh, a lot of minor key notes just cropping up. It's not a positive, happy album. It's very much an album of someone that's growing up and trying to find their place in the world. Yeah,
0: what struck me was it feels like a depressed Taylor Swift being produced (laughs) by the XX. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well... The
1: Taylor Swift comparison is a good one because when she was kind of bursting onto the scene, people were making that Mm -hmm. kind of comparison in terms of talent. And I think she had a bit of a, not a dig at Taylor Swift, but I think her, her view was Taylor Swift's so manicured. She's beautiful. She's always sings about relationships and her songs are all effectively perfect. And she kind of said, I'm almost representing that kind of teenager who's you know struggling a bit more and life's not as good. Um, obviously, when you've got a song like Royals, which is talking about people in the media who've made millions of pounds, dollars, and are f- f- flaunting it on Instagram and all of that mm-hmm. stuff, and she's saying M- most people don't have this level of
0: attainment, even in the music industry. Right, and my take on this was it's pop, but it's weary and cynical pop, and... I like that angle on things. I also think there's an element of this of she absolutely wasn't wealthy at the point of this coming out. Obviously, she's come from a an Auckland-based, middle-class-ish sounding family, yeah. but there's not millions in the bank. It's not like Taylor Swift, who's had this childhood country career that's just bankrolled everything that she's done since or or been the basis for her being able to build even more success on top of and so it was one of those things that i was sort of chuckling along listening to the lyrics thinking well you're being very cynical about all the wealth and the glamour that is portrayed in other people's songs and their lifestyles this record has got you to be in that (laughs) stratosphere of of potentially having that kind of money and and that kind of fame and I haven't listened to the stuff that she's released since but it's just it's just an amusing point of oh you're now in that range where you could start singing about that stuff because you know if you're singing about what you know and she clearly is singing about what she knows the next thing you'll know is all the trappings of fame and all the shit that comes along with that which is that's a lot of what taylor swift you know she sings about relationships a lot as you mentioned but she also sings about the media and her treatment in the media and the way she's portrayed lord seems kind of hyper mature on this so
1: even she's she seems kind of almost cynical and grumbling about saying oh well you know I'm, I'm done with all this stuff almost as a 16 year old teenager saying <laughs> oh you know I'm, yeah. I'm i'm aware of it and then you hear in later interviews she's super grounded. There was an interview more recently, I think with mm-hmm. Vogue, I think, which kind of shows you how far she's come. And, they were saying, you know, what what don't you like about fame or what, what are the weird things about it? And she's saying, when you get really super famous, you get loads and loads of things for free. Mm-hmm. She said, don't give us free stuff. We're, we're loaded. Yeah. She said, she's, she's got the money coming in, but suddenly, a lot of, kind of, barriers just get knocked down when you're super, super famous. So, she just seems like a super, super aware person. And actually, some of the interviews I've seen, you can see she's guarded. Like a lot of people who hit fame young burst into the the media spotlight, and there's no defense. They're just they're telling interviews everything they need to know. They've probably not got enough minders, or even if they if they do have people around them, they they seem kind of protected. But she seems like in every interview, when you see her when she's 16, 17 she's watching her words very carefully and she's looking at the interviewer a
0: little bit like she knows that the interviewer could be trying to you're trying to trap me here you're trying to get me to say something that you can put in the headline
1: yeah and i don't know i just the more i see of her the more i'm impressed with her maturity yeah
0: i do agree with that i mean you've only got to listen to some of the lyrics in this in this album to recognize that she's extremely cynical about the social media impact and the bragging in songs impact on her teenage peers and the fact that there's lyrics in royals of every songs like gold teeth gray goose tripping in the bathroom bud stains ball gowns trash in the hotel room she's already very hyper aware of the impact of that being the thing that Teens are sold as, this is where you should be. This is what you should get to. You need to make money so you can have this lifestyle and rejecting it effectively. Yeah, well, on Tennis Court, the lyric, it, it's a new art form showing people
1: how little we care. It's like, I'm, I'm not interested in that. There's, yeah. the, the more I dig into it, the more I'm impressed with this first album. Should we dive into it? Before we just go right into the, the, the songs, it's interesting listening to her influences because okay, cool. she talks about Arcade Fire, Indie bands mm-hmm. being big influences. Fleetwood Mac, hip-hop, she goes into that, which kind of makes sense. You can see a lot of hip-hop influences in the in the styles and the beats that she has surrounding her music, especially in Pure Heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a big fan of Graceland as well. Oh, really? And That's all cool. of that seems to kind of trickle into the, the album. So, yeah, the album starts with Tennis Court, which is an outstanding song. It really sets her stall right from the get-go, and it shows all of those... Almost economical pop. It's quite lo-fi. Mm-hmm. There's very self-aware lyrics. And uh, and it's a it's a lovely
0: way to start an album. Yeah, the lyrics on here are, are straight from the get-go really great. So pretty soon I'll be getting on my first plane. I'll see the veins of my city like they are doing space. It's crazy that someone's writing this stuff. They've never been on an aircraft before. Yeah,
1: and you kind of see this. It's funny that, actually, it's a good point. Because you kind of see this... Complete innocence on the one hand, alongside this cynicism, and I wonder whether it's her looking at your Britneys and your people in in a similar space who've been thrown into the spotlight, and you know, being slightly wary of that. Yeah, I think she's she was the she's the youngest Billboard 100 artist since Tiffany. Okay, in, I think it was 1987 when the Tiffany was again at 16 or so. So they're both 16 year olds. So this is not a normal thing for someone that young. Interestingly, the youngest ever person, I checked this out as well, (laughs) is Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder hit the Billboard 100 when he was 13, which is
0: insane. That's got to be youngest solo artist, right? Because the Jackson 5 were younger than that when they were hitting. Yeah, youngest solo artist, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, Stevie Wonder's a legend. Yeah, so
1: she's hit the charts and instantly you've got... Grammy nominations, Brit nominations, Golden Globe nominations. Even off the back of this first song, you can kind of see the talent. Bowie was a fan. Bowie's pianist, Mike Garson, said um, he called her the future of music. He thought she was she was amazing. So straight from tennis court, first first song, you can kind of see that there's there's that maturity and there's that songwriting skill which isn't
0: that common it's the natural ability here i mean you talk about the fact that this is an album that came off the back of her producing some of her own stuff and sticking it on soundcloud you talk about royals was on that soundcloud thing and it's on here and it's it's not like there's a massive jump between royals and everything else royals is one of the best tracks on this album and yet everything else around it is brilliant and it's, it's all stuff that she's putting together. Correct me if I'm wrong here, because you've done the research and I clearly haven't, but it feels like this is someone who is writing all this music themselves, or at least leading a, a small team, because it's not like they've thrown millions of dollars at her to produce this album. And so I, I get the impression that this is mostly her, not her being a front for a lot of other people. Yeah, she was, she was
1: paired up with Joe Little, who's a songwriter and producer, and it was just the two of them. So she's basically, I think Universal have said, here's a mentor. Right. And so she's channeled a lot of that through him and he's basically helped her out with it. So cool. he's been a kind of a mentor, but you're right. It's not teams of songwriters and all sorts of people kind of crazy music around her. It's just one person that really giving her guidance, I think that's the, that's the way it seems. But yeah, as you go through the album, you mentioned Royals, the absolute, I guess it's the the classic, talking about, <laughs> talking about kind of artist's bragging about it when, when you're just scraping by which is always fun to listen to and then the next song ribs interesting lyrics on there it's, it's got a line where it says like it feels so crazy getting old and it's like you're 15 <laughs> 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 how, how do you know what that feels like so i don't know uh, all the way through this album there's this this maturity which is which is quite interesting and following ribs is buzz cut season which is which is wonderful it's got this kind of kind of almost glacial arrangement with these keys is quite wistful and um she creates these little soundscapes on this album really well
0: yeah it's so i was just reading the lyrics which is why i'm chuckling of uh well you laugh baby it's okay it's buzz cut season anyway following the line i remember when your head caught flame it you kissed your scalp and caressed your brain yeah it's just these Wonderful little twists of humour that she's thrown in. Yeah, and that's
1: the case all the way through her albums. It's not just um, th- this album that gets that clever treatment. The following song, Team, which is uh, one of my favourite songs on the album. There's one line in Team, we live in cities you never see on screen, not very pretty, but we sure know how to run things. And again, it's this allusion to most people in life don't live in this kind of Hollywoods glamorized Photoshop world. It's not very pretty, but we sure know had to run things. I think that's her basically saying, look, yeah, we, we don't look like kind of we're beautiful and
0: on the front page of, of Vogue. Although right. she was afterwards, afterwards, but, you know, we can put a song together. It's funny, isn't it? Even with artists that come from that sort of background, and I'm thinking specifically of Adele here, where Adele was lauded as this not pretty Hollywood-esque I mean, she's pretty. She's always been an attractive human being, but she was bigger than average and not your standard Hollywood shape and size and larger-than-life personality that didn't really give a fuck. And even she's now been sculpted into this Hollywood-esque individual. Yeah, and and I, I still see...
1: Well, I was looking at interviews recently with Lord, and she's still... Doesn't seem like she's gone down that kind of mainstream L.A. route. I mean, I think Adele moved to L.A., mm-hmm. which, um, which might have coincided with her becoming skinny and paying lots of attention to that. L.A. will fuck with everyone's head. Yeah. It's just one of those places. But in contrast, Lord seems more... She's got her own style, her own kind of dress sense, and she just seems, I don't know, she just seems not unfazed by fame,
0: but she's dealing with it in a really good healthy way yeah she's almost from the start gone I don't want to be that person so I'm not going to be that person and regardless of all of the trappings I will just continue to follow her own path rather than getting dragged down that route with everyone else
1: yeah she she refused to tour with Casey Perry when the album came out so Casey wow. Perry saw her uh, or her probably her production team saw her and said come on, lords, come and join us. And she said, no, not my thing.
0: Which is crazy because you'd think the record label would be screaming at her refusing to do that because, you know, a tour of Katy Perry with this sound, you'd think you're just going to pick up millions of new followers and new new people who would listen to your stuff and buy the albums. Yeah, and, and
1: she's gone down a different road. So in 2014, which is a year after the album came out, Nirvana were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Dave Roll and Chris Nobshalek asked her to, to to close Wow! with her to sing. So she sings All Apologies, girls on drums, Chris on an accordion, which is quite cool. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can find it yeah. on um, YouTube. But she's singing, and her I think someone, who was it, Iggy Azalea, had a crack at her for saying it wasn't appropriate that she was singing All Apologies for Nirvana. And it's like, wait a second, if two of the, like, the only surviving band members... <laughs> are saying, we want her to sing this song because she's got that kind of vibe and we like her vibe. It's not for her to say, so... Yeah,
0: who the fuck are you to say that Chris and Dave Grohl are incorrect on that? Yeah, so
1: I don't know. I think that was just a a, a bit of sour grapes. But when you've got artists like that saying... And I think this is goes back to what Bowie sees in her, but what Bowie saw in her and what the guys from Nirvana see is... Someone who's who's switched on. She's lyrically smart. She's making clever songs, and I think this is why she's she's done so well. It's because she's just got this.
0: There's a, there's a lot to her. It's a, she's kind of the whole package. I think there's always this feeling with artists who are pop artists that they must be manufactured, and because her sound is pretty poppy even though it's electronic or an indie it's 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 got all these pop bones to it that they must be a person who is manufactured and their career is manufactured mm. and so when you get someone like her who it seems isn't really manufactured and refuses to be manufactured even though they sound like they could be you know an iggy azalea or a taylor swift peer they're sort of plowing a slightly different furrow.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so the the album is it's it's not even it's 37 minutes long, it's 10 songs, it's tiny. It, one of my favorite songs is the penultimate one, White Teeth Teens, where she's got this wonderful the song about halfway through there's this little choral kind of background riff which kicks in. It's beautiful. And at this point, most musical producers when they find this beautiful harmony with her her voice they would make a massive song and dance about it and they would overproduce it and you would have this huge kind of sound building in the background. It would be the album closer and they'd just throw the bus at it. But she doesn't do that. She keeps it really quiet, really delicate and really simple. And I think this for me was the point on the album where it kind of switched from being really good to being this is absolutely excellent. Mm-hmm. And this whole album for me is, I think it's a wonderful piece of work. Interestingly, if you look at all of the music critics, um, if you see Metacritic, which is a a, a, re- a kind of critics aggregator website where it takes kind of critic reviews and tries to give them a a score based on reviews, it, it scored her following album even better. But I don't like that as much. This album seems a little bit more, just a little bit more cynical and a little bit more nervous. I guess it's kind of the, it's got like growing pains. It's like someone growing up and being a bit we- weary of the world. And yeah, interestingly she's got um, she's got synesthesia which is uh, ah. it's, it's a thing where you see when you hear a note played you see a colour Yeah, she said pure heroin is green apparently which okay. and uh, but she says that a lot of her songwriting is formed on that kind of image so she'll she'll start playing music she'll start seeing colours and those colours kind of form into they kind of clarify and become more distinct as she creates the song it's kind
0: of weird That's so fascinating to me. I've got a friend who's got very mild synesthesia. Yeah. And just the whole concept is fascinating to me. And I'd love... It's one of those things where it's like, I can understand how if you're a person that has it, it could freak you out, you could hate it, or you might embrace it like she clearly has. But I'm one of those people where I'm like, God, I wish I had that. Like, it just feels like an incredible gift to have that as part of your, your setup as a human being. I got a question for you. So... Given the conversations that you and I have had over the years in this podcast and outside this podcast, I'd imagine you being quite cynical about this album before listening to it. How did you get into this album? What drove you to go and listen to it?
1: Um, I, th- I think it was, it was either Team or Royals, one of the two. I think I'd heard one of the songs and just mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. There was yeah. no other external factor other than I heard the song, I thought, that's bloody brilliant got the album, and just continued to love it. So cool. it's been a, a standard, and it's not
0: really the kind of music I'd normally listen to. Right. That's exactly my my thinking is I almost feel like this is a thing where someone would have had to almost twist your arm or Lizzie got the album <laughs> and made you listen to it over and over again and eventually it sort of wheedled its way into your brain. But that's, that's really interesting to me to hear that you were like, no, I just really love this pop tune and had to go and listen to the rest of the album. Yeah, I mean, to the point where I I think
1: Tennis Court was, I put it on a compilation album when I went snowboarding one year and then I made a kind of GoPro edit, shred it, and put this as the backing music because I loved it so much and it kind of encapsulated the holiday. So it's kind of, it's another one where I get this all the time where you have an experience. In this case, it was the holiday in the mountains and a song kind of gets tagged to it and kind of makes the holiday. And this was one. That's part of it. But yeah, there's almost a kind of a a peacefulness, even though it's uh, an album about someone growing up. It's got this kind of tranquility to it, which I think is quite rare.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can hear that. Absolutely. You mentioned her next album. Sounds like you've listened to that. Are there things that we should go and listen to from that album as well? Because there's not hundreds of albums from her. She's not prolific, prolific. No.
1: So... Four years later, she released Melodrama in 2017. And then recently, last year, she released Solar Power, which is her most recent album. Melodrama is the one that got all the incredibly good reviews by the critics. I'm not as much a fan because it's much more of a pop album. It's brilliantly crafted pop, but -hmm. it's almost pop by numbers. It's more expansive, so... The tempo of some of the some of the songs are faster. Kind of, you get a little bit more kind of almost dance music floating around, and then some of them are more quiet. So, I think you probably had a bit of coaching to say you can expand your your range a bit. And I think this is why I got such good reviews. But I just like Supercut is is more of a an upbeat, faster song, which is which is great. And the Louvre is a is great for its lyrics and it's slower, but it just feels like. I don't know. It just feels like a little bit more of a produced album. It's not got so much of a theme running through it. And it also feels a little bit more confident. It's like someone who's found their feet a bit and they're a bit more settled. And I kind of, I quite like the fact that the previous album was a bit more
0: nervous about life. Yeah. I mean, there's that element of feeling a bit more human in those sounds and you can connect a little bit more with them. Uh, I haven't really listened to any of this stuff. So it's it's all pretty new to me. The thing that gets me is often, and so I'm talking more from experience of other artists, is that step from debut to second album, you often get the, oh, I can do all these things. And there's almost, mm. you get so excited about all the things that you can do that you don't quite focus in on the specific things that you want to do. And so I don't know whether her yeah. effort from last year is a bit more focused than this, but you talk about this album, there's less of a theme running through it. And so I guess there's a lot of it is, you know, four years of new experiences, four years of being famous, is all, all of that stuff's going to jumble in here. I think a lot of people will
1: find this more relatable if you're an adult. So mm. it talks more about going out to parties and having a bad time and, and relationships that that don't work very well. So from that sense, I can see it, people being much more kind of understanding of it. So that, I think that's why it's got such brilliant reviews. So she's done a great job. I just think for me, it's kind of less less interesting as an album just because it's kind of, it starts going into more of that standard pop song. And then most recently, the, the, the Solar Power album, it's, it's weird, actually. It's very low-key. So it's almost like she's just gone, right, instead of letting the brakes off, she's put them back on again. It's very quiet. There's tracks like "Stone at the Nail Salon," which are really, really kind of pared down. Mm-hmm. There's not much to it. The whole album is is just a really quiet experience, which some people will love. I think it's a little bit boring, but yeah, I. It feels a little bit like. Uh, I think her best work was
0: done, back um, You know, when she was fifteen. It's. I think probably one of the, scr- not struggles, but one of the things where you might have to be patient with an artist like this because, I mean, this is four albums in 12 years, but she's still only 27. Yeah. So there's plenty of creativity there and plenty of opportunity for other brilliant albums. And I suspect you're right. Some people will will love this album and be less bothered about the previous two. Some people will love the middle album. There's something, almost something for anyone who has a bit of a pop sensibility to their music tastes what will be interesting to see will be does she get more prolific as she gets older or is it she's just only ever going to release an album every 3 or 4 years and you just have to be patient to see when those albums come that hit for your personal tastes yeah well i'm i'm pretty sure you've
1: I'm pretty sure it's the latter i think it's you know she's in charge she's in control she's she's going to do this how she wants to and I, and I think that's the way it's going to, going to work. I mean, it sounds like she's got a good family set up. She's got kind of solid friends. There was th- this interview that I saw uh, recently, uh, this this Vogue interview, was. she mentioned kind of her really close friends. And it sounds like that friend group, she's not distanced themselves. And you do see a lot of people who hit fame just having to just through the way that your life, the course that your life takes you, takes you off into different places and you lose a lot of your old friend group. And it seems like she's she's kept that and she's
0: wanted to kind of keep the best of both worlds, which is which is cool. That might be because she's only releasing something every four years. So you're not off touring the world all the time. You're not in the studio all the time. So you can actually spend time at home with your family, with your friends. Yeah,
1: good on it. I think that's the way yeah. it
0: to be. And I guess if you're a solo artist, you need that. It's not like she's part of a four piece or a five piece band where you know your your mates become the people in the band or even bands that form out of a group of mates so Mm. you don't lose your mates you're all going on that journey together you might lose the people that were a little bit further away from you and maybe that's part of the way she's managed to stay grounded is that she's not gone off and made a load of hollywood mates who are all thinking the same way and acting the same way and all in that southern la lifestyle yeah, and, and bringing it back to, to Swift, I mean,
1: she, she hit scandal in 2013. She she said, Taylor Swift is so flawless and so unattainable, I don't think it's breeding anything good in Young Girls, which, off the back of that, had a huge backlash from lots of young girls going, don't you dare be nasty to Taylor. But apparently, I think they're now good friends. So it's two artists seeing seeing the
0: best in each other. I wouldn't be surprised if Taylor Swift agrees with her. Yeah. Because there's a lot that I've seen from Taylor Swift where she sort of seems to have a lot of disdain yeah. for the media image and the way that she's been forced to play that game. Yeah. And almost a personal backlash to try and move away from that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, th- I Well, I think both of those artists, and, and they're both brilliant examples of it, are smart, grounded, very media savvy women. And they've taken different approaches. Swift's just gone, let's go full perfection. But almost create this caricature of who she is. Whereas Lord has gone down the, I'm just going to release music that I want to release. And I'm sorry, Katy Perry, I'm not touring with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating seeing those different approaches and seeing how that works out for her in the long run, because one album every four years risks people drifting off from your music and moving on to other things and, and just, you know, at some point you almost lose track of of people like that and bands like that. Yeah, well, we'll we'll follow her career with interest, or at least I will. Yeah. So I have to ask you on the influence front, has this influenced your tastes in some way, or is it a, a pop outlier in the guitar-led bands that you generally listen to?
1: I, I, I'm a massive pop fan, right? You know, we've talked about this before. Good pop is, is brilliant. And so I think this just goes into the bracket of really good pop music that i enjoy and not so much kind of influencing me i mean you know i love my electronic music but this is just it's just a cracking pop album
0: Mm -hmm. how about you did you ever ever really probably not really got into her no i think this was one of those artists where stuff that i heard i liked but I just never put the effort into going and listening to it like you say Royals is an absolute belter of a track and I don't know why I haven't dived in and listened to more but it just hasn't ever happened so I guess I mean I've got solar power playing in the background now and this sounds right up my street Mm. so I'm gonna have a good old listen to that once once we get off the podcast but yeah, no, her, she's not an influence on me and she's not part of my listening generally, but maybe she should be more based on everything you've said and what we've listened to for this for this podcast episode. Uh, I'm guessing you haven't seen her live.
1: No, and I'm not sure I'd rush to get a gig ticket to Guernsey Lord, but I'm, I, I'm not sure. In fact, I'm not sure what her, her live music would be like. I think it would be a little bit too mainstream and poppy for me. <laughs> I, I'd appreciate this in its kind of kind of with the headphones on but I think with a with with a gig I I just want to see some noise and
0: some indie (laughs) and some guitars when I go to a gig okay she strikes me as the kind of artist that I would go and see at somewhere like Glastonbury if she was on in that sort of late afternoon early evening slot so I've seen Shakira in that slot and it was a really massively fun thing to do at Glastonbury in amongst you know things like the Flaming Lips and and all those other great bands tom york bit of shakira absolutely made my day
1: yeah and i think she would she would fit that bill well just kind of early afternoon still trying to lose the hangover from the previous night kind of sit in a field and listen to lord but yeah oh yeah
0: beautiful sunny day middle of the afternoon just coming off the hangover that's 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 where i put it all right cool well thanks for bringing this one it's Hopefully, going to add something new to my uh, to my listening list for this year. So I appreciate it. Well, it's our first our first Kiwi in the podcast. I think. I think.
1: Pretty sure. Mm. I'll have to check that. I think we'll have to. I'll have to do an audit of the the, the, the where our bands come from. I think we're probably mostly. England and the USA is probably where that and Canada for you
0: yeah obviously
1: let's check this out I'm going to go and do a next podcast you'll hear where the majority of our podcast artists come
0: from no you won't because we'll absolutely forget this in the next 10 minutes (laughs) it'll never happen fair enough <laughs> all right cheers mate and thanks you lot for joining us again we appreciate your patience while we took a little break good to know that henry is back and healthy we didn't actually cover that in the start of the podcast but he is as you can hear he is he's not coughing and spluttering down the microphone which is good
1: yeah yeah so yeah catch you up next time cheers
0: thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong